the Six Figure Developer Podcast, the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies, professional development, clean code, career advancement, and more. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. With us tonight is Ruben Bond. Ruben is a principal software development engineer at Microsoft, working on the Orleans Distributed Systems Framework. Welcome, Ruben. Hey, everyone. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, Ruben, uh, before we jump into the meat of things, uh, would you just give our listeners maybe a little introduction to you? to yourself, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry? Sure thing. Um, I've been programming since I was, uh, I guess I was around maybe nine or something. And, and I just happened to cross a, a book in the library. It's one of those old 1980s Osborne books, really cool book with a lot of hand-drawn pictures showing robots and how to program and things like that. Um, and so, I, of course, being a kid, I always wanted to make games. And, um, and I took this book home to mum, and it turns out that she was a programmer uh, before I was born. And so she had some more books. And, and thankfully, my parents were able to give me a bit of help getting started with some old, it was basic books. So, um, so this Osborne book was some prehistoric version of basic. And, and eventually, I learned QBasic and, and got started that way and, and kind of just kept going from there. So mostly self-directed. Um, and I, I, I wanted to make games, so I started making this um, this old Tank Wars game. Did anyone ever play Scorched Earth or or Tank Wars? Oh yeah, there's like a game where you set your you set the angle of your tank and your power, and you fire off this projectile. Um, I, I guess that was the first kind of substantial thing I made. Not Tank Wars, but some really dodgy clone of that uh, in QBasic. It was a lot of fun, but uh, I guess I got hooked from there and just kept going with it. Oh, very cool. Did, um, did you use gorillas as kind of a base or did you build the whole thing from scratch? Uh, it was from scratch. I didn't have the internet. Well, no, uh, gorillas, gorillas.base came with uh, QBasic. It was gorillas, money, and nibbles. I, I think I had a, a version of QBasic that was copied off some other machine on a floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't have so anything. you pirated QBasic? <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know. Did I? What are you uh, working on these days? So at some point, I got interested in distributed systems. Um, I guess I was interested in computer security. And so I eventually meandered my way into working on this distributed systems framework called Orleans. And, it, and it's a framework for building, nowadays, we call them cloud-native applications. Um, but the idea is you build applications that are designed to run in the cloud, cloud environments. And so and so that's what I'm working on. It's, uh, it's Orleans, and I'm, I'm working on it at Microsoft. I first started contributing to it um, as an open source developer just because I was interested in it. And, and I saw like, oh, you know, we could fix this and that. And what if we rewrite the code generator um, using this new Roslyn thing? Um, and, and somehow I got suckered into doing it full time uh, and then leaving my home in beautiful Australia and coming here. <laughs> Seattle was lovely too. Actually, I was very surprised at how green and and so much, how much foliage and, and fresh air there is around here. For some reason, I had this idea of America as, uh, I guess, being more of a concrete jungle, but I was <laughs> totally wrong. Very naive. Well, it's also quite large. So there, there are parts of it that are absolutely concrete jungles. But uh, so with that, what is Orleans? 
in early discussions, we were chatting amongst ourselves about our knowledge and, and experience with, with Orleans. And uh, Clayton had mentioned that Halo is utilizing Orleans in, in at least some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, so Orleans itself is... The intention of Orleans is to try to make it easier for developers to build distributed systems. And so back in, I think it was 2010 or maybe 2009 even, um, at Microsoft Research, there was a group called Extreme Computing Group. Um, And the idea was, it was part of this data centers features group. And and the idea was that they wanted to be able to make this new cloud computing thing, um, which was, I guess, still not quite the reality um, that it is these days back then. They want to make it more accessible to people because they recognize that in order to actually be able to use the cloud effectively, you need to be able to program the cloud. And so they came up with this programming model that they eventually called virtual actors, um, which is supposed to be very suitable for, for cloud environments. Um, and I guess we could talk a little bit more about why that is. Um, but eventually this thing got picked up by, by Halo. Um, and, and you can go and see that video uh, where Hoop is talking, Hoop and Sergey are talking about, um, you know, how they have extreme requirements and things like that. Back when Halo launched, but they use it to build their the backend services uh, for Halo. So things like lobbying and anti-cheat, and um, they had this app for for tracking players around um, called Waypoint that you could have on your phone, I think. Um, and so Orleans formed like the the gist of the, like the guts of all of the backend services, and it still does today. So. So yeah, future Halo games are also using Orleans. Just to sort of play dumb here, uh, for fo- folks who may not know, what what do you mean or what are we talking about when we talk about a just, just distributed system? Okay, it's, it's a good question. So any any time that... The thing about distributed systems is it's a very broad concept, right? It, it starts from any time that you have two computers that are talking to each other. You have these, like a, a, your phone is talking to a website, right? That's inherently a distributed system. Anytime the network is involved, you've got something distributed. But but more specifically in the kind that we're talking about, it's where the backend, let's say the website, for example, is actually hosted on multiple machines. So you've got you've got this set of machines and your, your system is you know big enough that it can't fit into one machine. I mean, you know, it's not like a SAP HANA gigantic database kind of thing, but like we're scaling out onto commodity hardware, right? Which was the whole premise of the cloud. Um, but you need a way to be able to make these computers talk to each other in a in a usable way where you can still program it. Um, and so a distributed system is just any system that involves a whole bunch of machines talking to, to each other. So earlier you also mentioned uh, virtual actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if I'm correct, that's the the actor model, right? So uh, what role does that play in Orleans and, and how does it... So Orleans is supposed to be very performant and I've heard that that's partially due to the actor model. So how, how does that play in? Yeah, um, so... So the idea between behind virtual actors is that you have these these objects and, and in the cloud because you never know if a machine is coming or going, like they're failing all the time. If you have any significantly large cluster, you should always assume that something is partially failing somewhere. And so you need a programming model, like this, this way of, of programming the system that allows you to uh, essentially um, capture that, that failure in a way that is not exposed to the developer, right? So, so you need to be able to program when failures are happening all the time. And the idea behind virtual actors is that you have these objects in your cluster, your, this, this kind of address space, 
and you need some way to address them. Like, let's say you've got um, an actor that rep it's an object that represents a user profile, or you've got an object that represents like a bank account or something. Um, and what makes them virtual is that they're kind of like virtual memory in that you've got these actors, objects, uh, and they're virtual because they're paged in effectively into, into memory when you need them. And then like virtual memory, they get paged out when they're no longer, no longer in use. Um, and so this kind of managed life cycle of, of this object is, is very crucial to it. Um, because if you had a system, let's say, where you had to in, uh, explicitly create an actor before you could, before you could send uh, messages to it, before you could make method calls on it in the case of Orleans, it's always hard to know if that, if that actor was created on another computer, did that computer fail or, you know, was that actor created somewhere else or between the time you create it and the time you try to use it, it might've gone, right? And so you need a programming model that just says, look, I don't care where it is. I just, I just want to, you know, get this user's profile information or, or update some information about this user, whatever the case. Um, now, we, we called it virtual actors, or, or I wasn't really part of the project at the time, but it was called virtual actors in their research papers. But we found over time that actually that tends to lead to this conflation that the people have. When they think actors, they think Erlang or they think Akka. And, and actors in Orleans are very different. And, and they're different enough that it's, it's almost not even worth drawing a comparison. At least that's, that's my, my thinking. Um, but I think that the terminology was useful in the early days because it could allow people who were familiar with actors but wanted to be able to do that on .NET, it, it could allow them an easy way to understand roughly what they're building here. Um, and so I was drawn in by that word. You know, I was, I was interested in ACA and um, Scala at the time, and then I found out about Orleans, um, and so I was interested in using it. But if you want to reach a wider audience, I think that, that you need to come up with terminology that's really more accessible to people. And so the terminology that I've been trying to use lately is to just call them cloud native objects, which I, I think hopefully conveys the idea of, of what they really are in a more succinct way than saying actors or virtual actors in a way that people can really grok. I don't know. I'd, I'd like to hear your opinions on it. Like if you were to hear virtual actors or you were to hear cloud native objects, besides being put off by the buzzwords, you know, does, does one elicit a, a reaction that you think, oh, I kind of get what that might mean. I hear cloud native and I automatically think YAML. So, uh. <laughs> okay. Let's reel it back in. No, I think, I think that that, that makes sense. I, you know, I hear actor and I think actor model and then I'm like, okay, what is that? How does that work? How does that apply in the situation? I go do a bunch of research before, uh, you know, I can move forward. But if you tell me cloud native object, then, you know, okay, well, so an object, I know what an object is. And then, it's cloud native, so it must live in the cloud. So some kind of remote distant object that I have access to somehow, which is not 100% what you were saying, but it's it's kind of on that path. So I think that makes sense. Cool, yeah. Like, And that's the idea. It's kind of ballpark of where we want to be. Whereas if you talk about actors, at least when I hear actors, the first thing that comes to my mind is, oh, single-threaded, right? Um, and maybe that's the same for a lot of people. It's like you've got this object, this thing, and and it's single-threaded, and then you think about this 1972 paper by Carl Hewitt. It's like, okay, actors can create other actors. They can send messages to actors, and they can um, decide how they're going to behave in the next turn, right? the next time they receive a message, which is like, okay, sure, but how do I use them to do useful stuff? Um, so anyway, Orleans... Uh, 
ob these cloud native objects that we call grains, um, just to add even another term into the mix, are actually um, they're actors in the sense that they fit that definition, but they don't fit it in the way that a lot of people would would imagine. So when you think about actors, and and if you're familiar with Acker at all, then they've got this kind of become semantics. It's like um, you know you've got almost like a switch statement, like pattern matching on some object, and then I'm going to do this and then become some other state, which has a, a whole different switch statement um, for how you're going to treat the next message that comes in. But really, if you look at, at what Carl Hewitt wrote, you could kind of interpret that, okay, what he's really saying there is that actors can choose how to behave based upon some state, right? It, it's not necessarily that you're you're becoming a different, different actor. Anyway, yeah. Different, different ways of conceptualizing the same thing. So yes, virtual actors, cloud native objects, grains. Grains are cloud native objects. And in preparing for our conversation, I did just a, a quick Google search to to prepare and, and read up and, and maybe get some intelligent sounding questions and stumbled across a blog post from 2016 where they were interviewing uh, Phil Bernstein mm -hmm where he said, uh, the virtual actor model hides distribution from the developer. You write code as if your program runs on one machine. The Orleans runtime is responsible for distributing objects across servers, which is something that doesn't affect the program logic. Yeah, that, that's right. Phil is uh, very eloquent. I guess he, he writes as a profession, right? So he's a distinguished scientist at Microsoft. And, and if anyone's ever read papers or books about transaction processing, his name will inevitably show up. And he's been writing papers since before I was born, but um, but that's exactly right. So the idea is that you want to be able to treat your collection of machines as though they're this one big machine, right? Ideally, as a programmer, you don't want to think about okay, I'm I'm calling something. Maybe it lives over there. Maybe it lives over here. Maybe it's currently nowhere at all. Um, and so Orleans tries to hide some of that for, from you. But then when you say that, you might think okay, but if we go back a decade or or even six years then that sounds a lot like RPC. And, and we all have heard horror stories about RPC, right? It, it, because with RPC, the idea was it, it's like you're making a, a procedure call, a method call, and it's supposed to be transparently going across the network bounds. But in reality, we know that that can fail because a network is inherently failure prone, right? Uh, and has a lot of latency. And so if you hide those kinds of, those kinds of effects, it ends up creating a, a system which is you know, slow uh, and and prone to failure in weird places. Now, well, the way that it hopefully ends up being in Orleans, it's very similar to gRPC. But whereas with gRPC, which is very popular nowadays, you're making these RPC calls. But now that languages have async await type semantics, we're all used to saying, oh, okay, you know, I'm awaiting that statement there. It's probably a cross-machine call or it's somehow doing I.O. or something which is inherently not as super cheap as just doing a regular synchronous method call. So is, is Orleans, is it a NuGet package that you pull down? Is it a uh, service that you have to pay for in Azure? Uh, how, how do you use Orleans? How do you bring it into your project? So the, the typical way is that someone will add a NuGet package um, and and then if you're if you're doing .NET development um, day to day, you might be familiar with the .NET generic host. So over time, um, ASP.NET and SignalR and and other frameworks 
uh, eventually settled on this on this hosting model that we call generic hosts or host builder, where you create a host and then you add different components to it. And so you might add ASP.NET and SignalR and gRPC, and Orleans is just one of those things. So you, you'll say, you know, configure web defaults, use Orleans, and then and then you configure how Orleans um, acts. And, and in fact, in Microsoft, a lot of the time, people just have uh, teams just have one binary or, or one executable that they deploy. And that has their front end and their Orleans code in the in the same process because it's a lot easier just to deploy it as as one single thing and then you scale it out as far as you want. And so Orleans will help you when you scale these these um, processes out. It'll help them all to communicate with each other in a hopefully seamless manner. So yeah, it's, it's a totally free open source project on GitHub. I think it was released um, on GitHub in January of 2015, if I recall correctly. Um, and so we do all of our development out in the open. We have this great warm community on, on Gitter, Gitter.im, which is this like, a, it, it's a, essentially like IRC or, or Slack um, community that you can join as long as you have a, a GitHub account or, or actually now it's uh, run by matrix.org, um, but it supports GitLab and Gitter and uh, whatever. It's got a lot of different authentication methods. So yeah, so it's a package you pull in. Okay, so I can, I can just pull down that package I put it into all my projects and mm -hmm. then I program my distributed monolith and I don't have to worry about a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can you can build your distributed monolith in Orleans or you can make it microservices if you want. Um, really however you want to see it. A lot of times people ask, okay, well, is Orleans a microservice framework or, or or what? And I always say, well, it is if you want it to be, or it's kind of a matter of perspective. Actually, the first time I heard microservices actually was I think it was as part of an ACA talk a long, long time ago. And this, this is before microservices was a popular term, but this speaker was saying that essentially each one of these actors is a microservice, right? It's like a very, very tiny service that has an interface and it has some state on it. Um, and so in that sense, Orleans is, is also uh, a microservice framework because each grain has a strongly typed interface. It's just a C-sharp interface. Um, and they all have their own private state. So, you know, your user grain state is separate from someone else's user grain state and their shopping cart state. They're all conceptually um, uh, decoupled and isolated from each other. Um, but you can also host... Um, a big heterogeneous cluster. So you can say, all right, these machines over here are used, are used for you know, this particular service. Let's say it's a user service and this one over user profile service and this one's for um, authentication and this one's for something else. And so you can say, I'm only going to activate grains of certain types on certain machines if you want. And you can deploy them independently and they can all talk to each other. So are, are there architectural considerations that you have to be thinking about when you're trying to, to, to utilize this? From, from what you're describing, it sounds like um, you can sort of go in a lot of different directions, obviously, and it, and it really enables you to do that. But, but what are those sort of like, the, what's the best way to think about it, I guess? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when, when a lot of us are learning object-oriented design, we, we start thinking about encapsulation and decomposition. Um, and so how to, how to break up your application into small objects that, that talk to each other using method calls or messages. When we're talking about architecture in general, it, it's like, um, you, you know, which services go where and how they communicate. But in Orleans, it's really more about which, which objects talk to each other, right? How are grains communicating with each other? And some of the biggest concerns that you have are, okay, so what do I call a grain? Like if I've got all my 
all these uh, concepts in my domain of my application, which ones do I draw circles around and say, that's a grain, that's a grain, that's a grain. Um, and it does come down to a few things. I think this can be a stumbling block for people, especially at first, because we're not used to that as a, as a way of thinking when we think about services. We're used to when designing applications ourselves. But when your thing is going to be distributed across multiple machines, communication has a cost. And, and also, um, you know, if you have hotspots in your system where, like, let's say that every single request has to fan into this one object somewhere in your cluster of machines, that's not going to scale very well, right? But cloud, cloud systems, they have to scale well. And so you have to also think about it in terms of chattiness, like how, how often do these objects need to talk to other objects to get their work done for the different kinds of requests that, that you need to support? And also, um, how, how do we make this scalable in some way? If we just drew a big circle around our entire domain model and said that entire thing is one grain, you can't really make use of more hardware as you start to add more hardware to your to your cluster, and and you don't get very fault uh, very uh, good fault tolerance characteristics. And so there's a there's an FAQ um, in the docs that talks about a few simple rules. It's very much dot points. You know, try to do this and this and this and don't do that kind of a thing um, for how to decompose your system into grades. But it's very similar to, I guess, just object oriented decomposition in general. You know, oftentimes if a you can split grains up however you want. If, if you had, let's say you had a user and, and they had a shopping cart and some user profile data. Um, if those things are, are small and they only ever really talk with each other, maybe in the beginning, you just want to lump them in together. But if they're not really related to each other, then there's not really much purpose in doing that. And so you might just decide to separate them apart. Um, and so thinking about granularity is definitely important. Um, but we can give guidance on that. And there's a community that, that can also come and help, as well as the FAQ that, that can do it. You know, if, if drawing circles and, and lines on a whiteboard is not enough. All right. So what if, so I'm, I'm sold. Now I've got a new hammer and, and everything is, an, is a nail. What's the bread and butter problem to solve with Orleans? What are the problem spaces that I reach for Orleans to solve? I, I think that some of the best applications, some of the most obvious applications you might say, are cases where you just naturally have lots of tiny little things in your system that don't, they coordinate with each other, but not a lot. And so a canonical example would be something like IoT, right? So Azure IoT uses Orleans as well. So each of your, uh, Azure IoT digital twins, I should say. Um, so each of the devices in the real world map to some grain in an Orleans cluster somewhere. Um, and so you have a one-to-one uh, uh, mapping between these two things. And in that case, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, this digital representation of some physical object can kind of act on its behalf and you can query it. And as a programmer, you can logically think, oh, okay, if I want to talk to that device, here's where I go. Um, so that's a good example. Other cases that, that we just happen to have seen emerge for some reason are in a lot of financial services. So, so things like Fraud protection is one, so Dynamics 365 fraud protection, but there's also other companies out there doing fraud protection on Orleans. And I suppose it's kind of similar. You know, you've got, you've got lots of little transactions or shopping carts or users or payment methods or uh, billing addresses in your system, and you want to find some relationship between them and, and detect suspicious behavior. And, and so it, it happens that, that actors or, or objects are a good way of modeling that. I would say that, maybe it's good to talk about what cases Orleans is not good for, 
right? The, the cases where you would say, well, this doesn't really fit that well. Cases where it's really hard to divide your system up into lots of little pieces. Um, let's say that if your system always involves doing large table scans across an entire database or something, you know, Aleens might not really help you much there because you can't query grains. Um, now, there is a community project that does this, actually made um, principally by Phil Bernstein. But just generally speaking, you're accessing individual objects and they all communicate with each other. So if you need to do large range queries, then you, you're going to need to lean on your database to do that. And so if that's really the basis of your application, then Orleans is probably not giving you a lot of help. So to go back to the original question, generally, it's cases where you've got a lot of independent objects that end up communicating a little bit, but uh, but don't need to communicate a, a great deal for every single request um, that Orleans tends to really shine. So you you had mentioned sort of the the fact that that obviously the these these distributed systems uh, are having to make a call across a network. Networks are definitely have failure there. Um, how how does Orleans sort of help with that? So I suppose there's a, a few aspects of that. One is when you have all your machines on a on a network together, they need some way of being able to talk to each other. They need to find each other, like service discovery or something like that. And the, the general term for this is cluster membership. Right? And so Orleans helps them to form a, a group so that they can find each other. But then it also, as part of that, needs to be able to detect when something bad happens, right? when there's, when there's a failure. And so each of the machines in your cluster need to monitor each other. And so Orleans will set up this monitoring and it'll try to quickly detect that, okay, some machine is down, let's get rid of it from the cluster, we'll evict it. Um, and try to recover from that. And so as a programmer, what you'll see in that case is that let's say you made a call uh, to some object that happened to be located on that machine, that call will fail. So as soon as Orleans detects that that machine is actually dead, it'll say that call failed because it was that, that machine was unavailable. And of course, you know, if we're trying to be cloud native and that, that means that we're serverless, then, then that means that like, what is a machine, right? It's supposed to be serverless, right? Um, but of course, these abstractions do leak to some degree. And, and so the general, the general thing that you can do about this is, is retry the call. So it will try to fail the call quickly to let you retry. And when you retry, it'll go and take this object, this grain that was activated on that machine that happened to fail, it'll put it somewhere else on, on one of the surviving machines. Now, is that something you have to think about or that, that's something that Orleans is taking, Orleans will do taking it for, for you? you. Yeah, oh, it, it'll handle it automatically. So as far as you're concerned, you made a call, something failed somewhere, you try it again, it'll succeed. Okay, so be, because it's going to be busy transferring it to another... Yeah, yeah. Um, so and, we, and switching that. Yeah, so it won't eagerly go and say, all right, um, you know, machine X is down, which grains are activated on machine X? It's, it's much simpler than that. It'll just say machine X is down, any outstanding calls are gone, any grains that were activated on machine X are gone. If you need to call one of those grains, it just treats it as though it was never activated. And so it will go and say, all right, let's find a machine to put it on. Let's put on that machine. And as part of that, it'll go and load its state from the database so it's ready for you to handle the call. What's the deployment story for for this? So it's, it's very flexible. It can, it can run pretty much anywhere that .NET can. Um, and so internally at Microsoft, we run it on AKS very frequently. So Azure Kubernetes service, um, 
or on service fabric or even cloud services, the old Azure cloud services. You can run on raw VMs or Azure container instances, or obviously not just Azure, you could run it in um, AWS or GCP as well, or, or even on your own on-prem. So some users out there are running it inside of data centers that they run on, on your bare metal. So Windows, Linux, AKS, whatever deployment technology you want to use, Orleans will run there. As long as .NET runs there. And of course, as long as you can communicate between, between nodes. So if you just got one node, sure, you can run on one node. But if you can't communicate across machines, then it's not very useful. So are there any good um, examples that people could look at uh, if they're interested in picking up and learning Orleans? There is a... There is a set of samples in the main Orleans repository. On um, It's under the .NET organization on GitHub. So it's github.com slash .NET slash Orleans. But there's a more substantial um, example. I did, a, I did a recording with the on.NET show where we talked about this Chinese to English dictionary. And that shows what's supposed to be a semi-realistic application. And so there's this Hanbaobao app um, on my GitHub. So if you go to GitHub slash Ruben Bond slash Han Bao, you know what? It's hard to, it's hard. It's not an English <laughs> word, so I can't just say Han Bao Bao, um, but it's H A N B A O B A O dash web. Um, then you'll find this web app that, that implements this dictionary using all these. Um, and hopefully that's something semi realistic. Most of the really advanced things are all internal. Halo is not releasing their source code anytime soon, I, I think. Um, and PlayFab and, and none of the other internal cases are open source. But, you know, that's just how it is. Those were obviously some great examples. What other resources might you point people to uh, who are looking to get started with Orleans? I think that the videos um, on YouTube are, tend to be, hopefully, good good starters. Um, but then the docs. So... So we have docs hosted on GitHub pages. So if you go to the, the main Orleans repo, there's a link there that'll take you to the Orleans docs and, and that'll give you a conceptual overview and hopefully you know fill you in about features. There's a whole lot of features that that we haven't really talked about because they're not really part of the base, the base Orleans itself. Um, but but advanced things like for example, in Azure Playfab, which is this um, this Azure service for doing a lot of things around game development uh, and, and providing game developers, development studios, backends. Um, one of the services they offer is a digital economy. So you can have in-game currencies, for example, and maybe you want to trade them between you and some other player or you and some NPC or, or whatever the case. Maybe you're just picking up items out of the world. Orleans, in order to support this scenario um, in part, it supports distributed asset transactions. So these objects can be part of transactions together. Um, and and that involves a, it, it, it can it can cross databases as well. So for example, you can have transactions on blob storage if you want, and it can it can cross between blob storage and Cosmos DB because it's all up in Orleans um, where the, all the transaction management happens. Um, and so those docs will talk a little bit more about those features. Or streams is another example. So Halo makes heavy use of virtual streams in Orleans. And so um, all of the actions that happen within a, a match in Halo end up getting popped onto a um, Azure Event Hub's queue and then get processed by grades. But Orleans helps by uh, allowing you to have virtual streams on top of these physical Event Hub partitions. Um, 
And so there's a lot of facilities like that, that, that and other features, but the docs are a good, a good place to get started for those. What has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? That's an interesting question. I, I think that, of course, everyone's going to be a little bit biased about this. You know, I can only really talk about my experience and, and my experience is largely driven by the things I'm passionate about. And so when I find something that I'm interested in, I'd like to, I guess, go deep on that kind of thing in my own time. And, and I'm just lucky in order, you know, in that you can actually get employed doing that. But I think that there's a lot of cases where we don't have enough experts in, in, in different areas, right? And so you can really make a big impact by being an expert in distributed systems, for example. It's, it's funny how small of a community it is. You can go on Twitter and, and quickly find a lot of people who are very influential uh, in the distributed system space. And, and we're learning, um, I guess we're developing a kind of a, a fairly rapid pace, but there's so much stuff that's still not still not discovered or, or developed, right? Like, you know, Paxos, which is this, this algorithm for um, allowing computers to agree on, on certain things. So anytime you want strong consistency in a database and it's a distributed system, you need some protocol for that. You know, that only came about 20 years ago and, and it was kind of obscure when it first came about, uh, which was actually in the 90s. Kind of sat sat behind a a, uh, a filing cabinet, I think, for the first seven years of its life. Um, but then, but then, what happened is in 2014, when the raft paper was was published, which is like this alternative to Paxos um, that's a lot more easy to understand. Suddenly, there was this boom in people that were able to understand. Oh, okay, so this is how we build distributed systems that are strong consistency because it kind of set, took this paper, which was about. Paxos is a, an island in Greece, I think, um, but it was describing a parliament. It was very abstract. But then this, this other paper came out and said, let's try to make this really understandable. Uh, and, and so by doing that, they enabled a whole wider audience of people to get involved. And we've seen a lot of innovation in that space about how can we make strong consistency systems basically perform very well and with good characteristics about failures and, and things like that. And this stuff is getting published very frequently. There's so much stuff that's that's just still uh, still out there to find. And so if people are interested in doing that kind of thing, like by all means, you, you can pick it up. And it's it's not very easy at first, but but it's all there. Um, and, and you can really make an impact if you want to. So yeah, I, I suppose the short answer is doing things you're passionate about and finding your niche, niche is a is a good approach, I think. So where can our listeners go to follow you and keep up with what you're working on? So I'm on Twitter at um, Ruben Bond, uh, one word, uh, and I, I tend to tweet about my exploits. And, uh, and of course, on GitHub in the .NET slash Orleans repository is where all of the action happens. And so they can come and join us there. And if they have questions, jumping into the Gitter channel is a great way to start. So gitter.im slash .NET slash Orleans. Um, you can go and ask questions and someone from the community will answer or I'll answer or we can have a discussion about things there. Excellent. Ruben, thanks so much. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Thanks for having me. That was Ruben Bond. Ruben is a principal software development engineer at Microsoft working on the Orleans Distributed Systems Framework. If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. Catch us live each week on Twitch 
and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Six Figure Dev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I am John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Nash. <laughs>